You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Cindy Lin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and styling your home to live and to sell. Welcome back to season twelve. This is episode one. Hi guys, welcome back to season twelve. So normally we take a bit of a break between two seasons, but since we have taken a huge break. In between season eleven, I thought, why not? Why don't we just do it back to back this time? I mean, this year is already kind of breaking a lot of normal things that we've been doing, so why not? We haven't done a podcast for a while, so I thought, you know, it would be nice to just continuously doing and keep my momentum up as well, because I just been a bit, you know, like I talked about earlier, where I've been feeling just a bit off. Since the whole lockdown and also COVID for the past few months, so I'm just trying to get my groove back, and I think recording consistently will help me do that as well. I'm also it just helps me get in touch back with the community, and you guys have been so awesome and supportive throughout this time. So thank you so much. I'm super excited to have Galen Mooney on our podcast today. If you have attended this year's StagerCon in July, you probably met Galen already. She was one of the most popular speakers at the conference, and she had just so much great things to say. And she has such a great way of breaking everything down into very digestible information, especially on something that's a bit dry and technical, like search engine optimization, which is also what we call SEO. So I know SEO is not something as fun as home staging, but it is critical in running your home staging business, especially with everything going on with COVID this year. Being able to be found online is more important than ever. So this is why I want to have Galen on the show to chat about SEO and also give you tangible tips for you to start learning about SEO so that your home staging clients can find you online, even while you're sleeping. So before we get started today. I just also want to tell you that I will be doing a free training on photography the first week of November. People have been asking for it about photography tips, and as some of you know, may know, who are longtime podcast listeners, I've just finished my second master in photography, so I am just a little bit obsessed about it. But I think photography is one of the best things for home stagers to really get out there. And get our work out there. Especially, it's so important now to have a really strong website portfolio because that's basically essentially how anyone is going to judge us, even before they call us to hire us as a home stager. So, I'll be doing a series of Facebook lives and also a free training on improving your photography skills in our Facebook group. And the great thing about learning photography is that not only you can take better photos for your home staging projects, you can also take better vacation photos. And I'm also going to talk about how to repurpose your photos, and so that you can use it to actually create art, to create artwork for your home staging projects. So if you haven't joined us on Facebook, just search for the Home Staging Show, and just join, and we'll approve you, and all that good stuff. So. During the week of November, I'm gonna go on live and talk about what kind of camera you can use to shoot your home staging projects, including your iPhone, and compositions that you should know to improve your photos, and lots of other tips as well. I also have a free cheat sheet for you in our group as well, so make sure you find us on Facebook. So just search for the Home Staging Show group, and then it should pop up. You can also find more information on our website at stagemore.com/slash. Photo, P H O T O. 
So I'll link that in the show notes as well, which you can always find by going to our website at stagemore.com. You can look through it under our blog or through our podcast section as well in the menu bar. So I'll link them in the show notes so you can register for the free training and also join us for a Facebook Live. I would love to see you guys. I haven't done lives for a while, but I think it would be great to really get back to it, especially in the slower seasons like November just to say hello and then also put my face out there as well. So yeah, I'm really excited. One of the things I do a lot now is being on Instagram. So if you are on Instagram, do pop in and say hello. I'm actually actively discouraging people from sending me emails, but definitely if you send me a DM on Instagram, I will pick it up from there. So let's go on to today's show because I cannot wait to tell you about Galen and how amazing she is. Galen is an educator and SEO strategist helping creative business owners attract their ideal clients and get found online. She got her start as a self-taught web designer and photographer who fell in love with simplifying the technical side of SEO. Her brain is half creative and half nerd, which is why also why I really love Galen, because I'm also half creative, half nerd. And she's a huge animal lover. Her favorite food is Ben and Jerry ice cream. Same as me. I always buy fish food when it goes on sale. So Galen has built a small but mighty team dedicated to help her create content, also show up for a community they've built over the last five years. And Galen's also hosting an online summit on Squarespace. It's actually happening this week. It's called the Square Summit. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. So for those of you who do do your website on your own, Uh, especially with Squarespace, this is a really great event for you to attend as well. I'm always for educating yourself with other skills, even if you're not the person who does them, even if you hire it out. I think it's important to learn the basics of SEO. So when you hire someone to do your SEO, you know what you're talking about. So they're not going to take advantage of you. And same thing with website as well. So it's always good to learn new technology and so new knowledge. Just make sure that your business can run more efficiently. All right, so enough gabbing. I'm so excited to bring you the show, and let's get started. Hi, Galen. I'm so excited that you're here. You're one of our favorite speakers from SagerCon. We got so many good feedback from the survey. Like they all love your sessions. You're so good at breaking things down. So I thought it would be perfect for you to come on the podcast because there's a lot of people who didn't make it to SagerCon or maybe they missed your session. So it would be good to kind of chat about SEO and website again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun at StagerCon and I can't even tell you how many people I connected with on Instagram after that event and actually made like real personal connections with people from that event. So it was such a joy to get to meet your community and be a part of it. So thank you. Yeah, I know the chat box was so happening. Everyone was networking, exchanging information, which was really what I want people to do. So that was really cool. So we didn't actually get to talk about you like, during SagerCon. So how did you get into SEO and helping people with their websites? That's a great question. So it's kind of a funny story. I was a senior in college and I was studying like business and entrepreneurship and design. But one of the jobs that I found in the local town where I went to college was for 
an SEO specialist and it was a really cool, like trendy company. Like they had a golf course, like a mini golf course in their building. So I was like, I really want to work here, but I knew nothing about SEO, absolutely nothing about SEO. They don't teach that in college. Maybe they do now, but they didn't when I was in school. And so I applied to the job anyway. And what I did leading up to that interview is I read a bunch of different books. I watched a bunch of videos. I basically tried to teach myself the principles of SEO going into that interview. So I would come off as prepared and I still didn't think I would get the job, but after three interviews, I ended up getting offered the job and I was so ecstatic. I was so excited. And I ended up actually taking a different job. But the point was I had spent all this time learning upfront and I had really taught myself that you can learn anything you need to be successful. And so I ended up taking this SEO knowledge that I had created and bringing it to the next marketing job that I took. And I actually moved all the way across the country for this job, really excited for it. And even though the focus for that position wasn't on SEO, I took that background that I had from just the process of studying and learning for that interview. I took that to my new job and was able to apply it to the clients that I was working with. And I quickly kind of developed this reputation as somebody who was working on social media, but had this really strong SEO background. So I got more into the strategy behind it. And after working there for a little while, I absolutely loved it. But I just had this urge to start my own business. I knew I wanted to be working for myself. I knew that long-term I wanted to have my own company. So I left after like a year and a half at this job, started my own business, started doing web design and photography for local clients, uh, grew that and realized that all of my clients were struggling with SEO. SEO was a huge pain point for them. They didn't know how to get their website to rank and search. And so I started incorporating that into the web design projects that I was working on. And from there, just kept on developing. I kept on growing my skill set, working with different clients. And from there, now I teach courses on SEO because I think a lot of small business owners want to do it themselves, want to learn more, at least have like a basic knowledge of how search engines work and how to get content to rank. So now I get to teach SEO to creative business owners. That's great. Yeah, I think SEO, hiring someone to do your SEO can be very expensive. And also, I think most people don't actually know how to hire one because I think a lot of agencies, there's a very, like I've heard very different sliding scale, like scales in terms of how much it costs to hire someone to do SEO. And some of them sounds a bit spammy. So I think it's good to actually learn some basics so you can actually do it yourself. Yeah, you want to be able to either do it yourself or at least have the knowledge so when you do go hire somebody, you can tell if they're if it's working. You can look at your analytics. You know what you're looking at. You know that they're taking the right approach. You can kind of work with that person because nobody's going to know your business and your ideal client better than you. So you really need to have that knowledge. And sometimes a third-party agency can't just come in there and whip up a strategy for you without having that base knowledge. So the more you know about your client, the more you know about the basics of SEO, the better off you'll be building that relationship with an agency. But a lot of uh, my students and clients, they just choose to either do some consulting or coaching and then take it and run with it on their own because it's really not as complex as a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah. So for those people who don't really know what SEO is, what exactly is SEO? Yeah. So SEO stands for search engine optimization, and it's the process of making changes to your website to help your website rank better in search engines like Google, Bing, Yahoo, but Google is really the big one that we focus on. Yeah. Everyone wants to be on page one. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that's actually kind of a myth. It's so funny. 
I use like page one in my copy a lot because people are like on my website, I'll talk about that because that's something that people say they really care about. But at the end of the day, there's not just one page, right? There's actually thousands of keywords that you could be ranking for. And it's about finding those different keywords and about finding maybe less popular keyword opportunities that are easier to rank for. So it's not just like one keyword and one page that you're trying to get on. It's actually a lot of different pages all related to your niche and the type of business that you run. That is very true because like say you're a home stager, you probably don't need to dominate the keyword home staging, you just need to dominate home staging and your city, basically. Right. It would be very hard to compete for just the keyword home staging because that's global, right? But if you are in a town or a city, you can get as grainy as different neighborhoods. Like you can drill down to different um, suburbs of the city that you live in, the city itself. It really depends on how your website is in comparison to the other businesses like yours in the area and how specific you want to get in your niche. Yeah. And what are some of the common misconceptions? Because I think you just mentioned one just now where we we have this thing like we want to be on page one, but we don't really know what we need to be on page one for. So what are some other uh, common misconceptions that you see when it comes to local SEO? Yeah, that's a great question. So the other thing that a lot of my students and clients struggle with is the idea that they think SEO is super technical. They think it's really challenging, that if they don't have a background in code or web design, that they won't be able to wrap their heads around it or they won't be able to figure it out or it's going to take so much time. And really, there's just a few basic principles that you want to understand when it comes to SEO. And once you have those principles down, once you're sort of looking at your website through this new lens of how Google would look at your website, you're able to just do the things you would normally do, maybe blogging, adding content to your website, designing your website, even working with the web designer. You're able to do all those things through this lens of making sure that you're doing the right thing for your ideal clients, but also making sure that Google understands what your website is all about and the type of clients that you're trying to attract. I feel like even though we're doing things for SEO, but a lot of times we're actually just really serving our community. Because when you talk about like your business, like say home stager, you talk about staging this home in your neighborhood, naturally going to use a lot of keywords anyway. And I think one of the misconceptions people have is like, oh, I need to create this for the bots or, you know, Google or Bing or whatever, but you actually, it's most of the time a human, a potential client is reading your website. So you need to actually write for them, not writing for the bots. Yes. I, I never want anybody to write content that's designed for a robot, right? Google's actually getting a lot smarter. They have algorithms in place. They're starting to understand how humans search for things. I mean, look at all the data they have on the day-to-day searches that people are making. They know what types of words people are using, what they're searching for, how, and a lot of times they're searching, you know, more casually, right? People are just kind of typing in whatever comes to the top of their mind. So it's not about forcing keywords into your site. It's about getting inside the head of your ideal client, really understanding them, what their needs are, focusing on them. And the more you do that, add, you know, adding in a little bit of knowledge about formatting your site and how you should be formatting your site. But if the focus stays on your ideal client, you're going to be a lot more successful than somebody who's just trying to force things to uh, improve their rankings. Yeah. And so for most, I think, I don't know, I think most creative people, when they hear anything technical, they're just like, oh, I can't. So what are some of the things people can do actually to start learning SEO and kind of get over this mindset that, oh, this is really technical or whatever? 
Yeah. So again, I think starting with your ideal client in mind in, in sort of doing a reframe from how do I understand the technical side of this to how do I understand how to serve my clients better, my potential clients better? How do I provide them with more information that's going to help them throughout the buying journey, right? From that moment where they first meet you, that moment where they first meet you online. So they stumble across your website in Google, on Instagram, wherever it is, just making sure that your website has the content that's going to help that person get to know your business, who you are, what you do, where you do it. I always mention those three W's. Those are so important. Having those front and center on your website lets people know when they come across your website that they're in the right place. So it lets people know that, you know, it's one thing actually that I notice all the time is how often small business owners forget to put their specific location on their website. So if you're looking for a home stager and say you don't want to do virtual home staging, which now I'm sure a lot of it's virtual, but in the future, hopefully, you know, people will go back to doing more local. Say you want to work with a local business and somebody sends you a link to this website or you're searching on Google and you come across this website, but you don't see a location anywhere on it. It's not really obvious. I'm not going to spend five minutes scrolling around somebody's site to really look for the hidden information somewhere to make sure that they're in my city, right? I'm going to hit that back button and go back to whatever I was doing before and try to find something that's more relevant to my specific um, target area. So make sure you have any information that your ideal clients need to make a decision to work with you. Make sure you have that front and center on your website so you don't get people clicking that back button. They actually say, hey, I'm in the right place. I have self-qualified as a uh, potential client for this person and I'm going to keep looking around their website and see if it's a good fit otherwise. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think you would be surprised because a lot of times people like homesagers email me with questions and stuff and I would be curious clicking on their website a lot of times I can't actually find what neighborhood or what city they're serving in. And it's interesting you brought this up because I just remember we did a homesteading award this year and the winner for the best homesteading website. It's very clear. Once you get onto a website, boom, you know she works in Santa Barbara. It's in her tagline. It's immediately very clear. And I also think that is a really good way to weed out clients. Because like you said, somebody might be coming in maybe from San Francisco and they saw this website and they're like, oh, this homesteader looks great. Let's like click on her and then hire her or something. And then after 20 minute conversation, you realize they're actually in a different city than you are. So I think it's really, really important to actually just make it very accessible to potential clients and help them understand who you are as a homesteader, what do you do and where do you do it so that they can understand if you're the right stager for them. Yeah. And I I don't know where I heard this the first time. I definitely stole it from somewhere, but I am a firm believer that clarity is better than cleverness. So a lot of people put a really like clever headline on their site. Maybe it's like their brand mission or something like that. And while that's important, right? While it's important to establish the type of work that you do and the feel that people will get when they work with you, that's all important. But front and center on your website, you need to be obvious. There needs to be that level of clarity there. So again, people stay on your website to investigate more to see if you're the right fit, as opposed to hitting that back button and moving on to the next home stager that they can find in Google. Yeah. And so what would you say are some of the best and easiest things that people can do to improve their SEO? Yeah. So the first, the main thing again, is to have that 
three W statement, the who you are, what you do and where you do it to make sure that's front and center on your website and to actually format that information as what's called a heading one. This is the largest heading on your site. It's the most prominent heading on your site. And each and every page should really only have one heading one tag. So whatever, you know, website platform that you're using, just make sure that that main text on your website is very prominent. It's above the fold, which means that when someone lands on your website, they can see it without scrolling. It's above the the line where they have to scroll down to see more of that content. So it should be very front and center. It should be uh, pretty prominent, larger than the rest of the text on that page for the most part. And it should be uh, set as a heading one on your site. And whatever platform you're using, you'll be able to select what type of heading you want it to be, or if you want it to be paragraph text, it should be a heading one. And then the rest of the content on your page should either be heading two, heading three, um, or paragraph text. So it should be smaller or less prominent than that text. And that's really telling Google that this heading one, whatever's in that heading one is the most important text on that page. So you're helping them to understand that those three things, the three most important things about your business that tell someone right away, if they're in the right place, that that's the most important. Yeah. And then what else would you say? Because I hear a lot about meta description, for example. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this gets a little bit more technical and a little bit behind the scenes, but again, whatever website platform you're using is going to have SEO settings behind the scenes. And the SEO settings are going to allow you to put in a page title and a meta description for each and every page on your website. These should all be unique. So each page should have a unique page title and a unique meta description. And for your homepage specifically, those three W's, your brand name, you know, who you are, what you do, the service that you offer, the main service and where you do it, that should be in your page title for your homepage specifically. And then your meta description, that's a little bit longer. So the into a bit more detail, maybe about your unique style, maybe about some other close by neighborhoods or cities that you also target. Your primary ones should be in the page title. And then that meta description gives you a little bit more room to go into depth there. Uh, and that's in the SEO settings for each and every on your website. And how about for images? How do we improve SEO on that? Yeah. So images can be really valuable, not only showing up in image search, but also helping Google see that you is about a particular theme or a topic related service that you offer. So you want to make sure that you are naming your images strategically. And I don't want you naming every image the same thing. So not every image should be home stager Santa Barbara, for example. You might have that as every single image title and it might be home staging uh, Santa Barbara 1, home staging Santa Barbara 2. But that's actually not going to help you rank in the long run. You don't want all of your images to have the same variation or the same exact title basically with a different number. You want to be getting a little bit more specific there. You want to upload your images with unique file names that are going to reflect what's actually happening in the image. So yes, it's home staging, but what's the style inside that image? What's the service specifically that you were providing? What's the specific location that that was done in? Maybe not just the city, um, but getting more specific on neighborhoods. And again, it depends how large of an area that you live in, but just making sure that you're varying the names of your images. That's going to help you rank for a wider variety of keywords. It's going to seem more natural to Google and and not like you're forcing it. And it's going to just help your homepage rank overall. And I want to talk about content on your homepage in a second too, because that's another thing. So many people, especially creative professionals like homestagers tend to struggle with a little bit. 
Ooh, let's talk about that now. Let's not wait. I want to get into it. <laughs> okay, great. So, so many times I stumble across people's websites and they ask me, I'm not sure. I'm not ranking in Google. I can't figure out why. And I go to their homepage and there is either one line of text and a bunch of images, maybe like 50 words. If that Google needs text on your website to really understand what your business is all about. So not just naming your images, not just having that main three W statement at the top of your site, Google really needs text words on the page to understand what your business is all about. And I highly recommend that each page on your website that you're trying to rank in search engines, some pages you don't care about and that's okay, but certain ones that you are actually trying to rank in search engines, like your homepage, for example, maybe your portfolio, those pages need to have words on them. And I recommend at least 500 words per page. And that sounds like a lot. And that sounds really overwhelming to some people, but we're really going to break it down. And instead of being like, I don't know how to talk about myself. I don't know how to write about my business. Think about your ideal client. What do they need to hear at this point in the buying process? They've just decided that they are looking for somebody who does what you do. Maybe they want to learn more about what that process looks like, what it's like to work with somebody who does what you do. Include that content on your website. Think of frequently asked questions that you get via email that you see in Facebook groups from your ideal clients, whatever it is, what questions are coming up around the services that you provide. Think about how you can incorporate those answers on your website. How can you incorporate that information on your website and make it obvious for people so that they can find the information they need? Not only is that really good for your ideal clients, it shows that you know what you're talking about. It shows that you have a process for how your clients work with you and what that looks like. And it also tells Google and and gives Google a better idea of what your site is about and that you are an authority in your niche. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And so I think one of the things I really love for SEO is blogging. Should we talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's very natural because you will update a blog, maybe you write a blog once a month, but even that is refreshing your website and Google loves that. Yeah. So Google wants to see that your website is being kept up to date, that you're adding new information to it. And one way to do that is through a blog. I love blogging. It can be such a valuable thing for small business owners. One of the misconceptions there is that you need to be blogging all the time for you to see any results when it comes to SEO and your website or your blog. And that's not exactly true. So while Google does love to see that your website is being updated and that things are staying up to date, it's more important that the content that you're putting out there is quality, is high value content. So I'd rather actually see you publish fewer blog posts to your website, but make sure that the ones that you do post are really high quality. And going back to what should you be blogging about if you have no idea what topics to start with, think about, again, those frequently asked questions you're getting. What does a potential buyer need to know? What do they need to understand before they hire you? That's the type of content that you should be sharing. Not just, here's a recent project I work on. Here's some more photos of another project that I worked on. That can be okay once in a while, but your content should really focus more on the things your ideal client needs to know before they work with you and how you can help educate them as to why you're the best fit for the job. That's a great advice. And is there a number of words that we should hit when we're writing blog posts? Yeah. So 
Typically, blog posts that rank really well in search engines tend to be over a thousand words. But that goes across all industries, right? That goes across really technical industries where people are writing 2,000 word blog posts. And so I'm not saying don't write longer blog posts because they can be very, very valuable. But if that's stopping you from writing, I want you to make a goal of at least 500 words per post. If you can go up to 1,000, great, but just start with 500 words. You'd be surprised. All you need to do is have better, stronger, more original blog content than other people in your industry who are also in your location competing for the same keywords. So really take some time. Put yourself in the shoes of your ideal client. See what, you know, what would you be searching for? What questions do you have? What other local resources might you be looking for if you were looking for a home stager? Maybe there are some other resources around, like around selling a house or around buying a house or just home ownership in general. Think of content that you can create that either directly relates to your niche and that you're educating people about it. And then also content that's complementary to your niche that's drawing people in who are of the same audience, but maybe um, looking for other related content. Yeah. So you brought a really good point. The keyword is original. So it has to be original content. So we do get uh, penalized by search engine for having duplicate content, right? Yeah. So duplicate content, it's it's not so much that you're getting penalized. I guess in a way it is if you're, if you're really going out of your way to plagiarize, for example. But in general, Google is just, it's not going to rank two different pages with the exact same content on it. So it's going to choose one of the two pages that has the exact same content and show one and not the other. So if you have multiple pages on your site with the exact same content, Google's just going to look at those two pages and say, okay, well, why would we show both when we're going to just show this one? And that's the same goes for your site and another site. That's why you don't want to be like copy and pasting snippets from other articles and things like that. If that's the primary content in your post, you really want to be writing something that's original, creating content that's original. It can be, it can be casual, be in your brand. Don't think that you have to write exactly like your ninth grade English teacher told you you have to, right? We are business owners, but we're also human. And the further you get out of grammar school, the the more people, you know, obviously they want to see correct grammar. They want to see that you're not, you know, you're reading through your posts. There's not a bunch of typos, but they're okay with more conversational writing. People actually enjoy that. They get to see your personality a little bit more. So don't fret too much about being a really high quality writer or being a great writer. Focus more on just just making sure that you're getting your message across and that your message is unique and that the spin you're adding to that topic is unique. And what should we do if someone plagiarizes our content? Ooh, that's a great question. So in general, it can be kind of tough. I guess in that case, I would probably talk to a lawyer and look at sending a cease and desist or something like that, making sure you know that you have proof that your site was, your content was out there first. In general though, if there is a site that's plagiarizing your content, that site has probably, Google's probably already flagged that in some capacity, um, especially if your content was around first. So it's unlikely that that site's going to be ranking over yours, but it can cause some duplicate content issues. That is something that you might want to talk to somebody who works in, you know, who, somebody who's a lawyer or somebody who works in that industry specifically, because that's, that's a tricky thing. Thankfully it has not happened to me that I know of, but it is something to look out for. No. And what are some of the things that we can get penalized by search engine? Like we just talk about duplicate content. Maybe the other thing is keyword stuffing. People used to do that a lot. I don't know if people still do that. 
Yeah. So this was a really big thing a while back now where people just thought, okay, if I am a home stager and I put the word home staging on my site 500 times on one page, Google is going to um, rank my site higher in search engines. Thankfully, this is something that Google outsmarted fairly quickly and they've developed the algorithm so that I can start to spot cases where people are just really over the top. I would say in general though, if you're a small business, owner, this is not something you have to worry about too much. Again, just write naturally, create content that sounds natural, that you are writing for your ideal clients, and then format it for Google. So format it, making sure, again, you've got that heading one tag on every page, you've got your paragraph content, you've got smaller headings, that things are just structured in a way that makes sense and where the most important content on that page stands out. And overall, you'll be fine as long as you are, again, writing with your ideal client's Uh, at the center of your mind. Yeah. And then because you're also a website designer, I feel like we have to talk about website as well because it's so important. Like most home stagers don't have a physical store where clients can come in and interact. So that we really purely rely on our website to make sure that we get clients. So portfolio is such a key component of that. What are some of the best practices in your opinion when it comes to displaying portfolio photos on the website? Because I've seen people who shows every single photo, like a thumbnail, or some people do slideshows. What do you think? What are some of the best practices? Yeah, that's a really great question. So the biggest thing in general, and we're just talking about your website and how to design your website, always strive for something that's simple and really easy to navigate. And that's not to say that it can't show off your brand colors and your brand style, but make sure the text is easy to read. Make sure you don't have any giant blocks of text that you're actually breaking things down into smaller paragraphs because that's how, that's what makes it easy on the eyes, right? No one wants to read an essay. They want to see small chunks of content so they can get the information they need and move on and add call to actions throughout your site. So have a call to action button on your homepage, on your portfolio page, on your about page, tell people where you want them to go next by actually linking them there. So showing them what the next steps are. Don't make them rely primarily on your navigation at the top of your site. Add links throughout to send people to the next logical step. So if they're on your homepage, maybe send them to your about page or your portfolio page. If they're on your portfolio page, maybe send them to your contact page because that's the logical next step. When it comes to your portfolio, the biggest thing is you want to include text somewhere on your portfolio page to talk a little bit about your style, to talk a little bit about your process, to describe what people are seeing and what they can expect when they work with you. And the biggest thing I can say is it doesn't really matter how you display the photos in terms of whether it's like a grid style gallery or a slideshow, but make sure it's easy to use and easy to view on mobile. People are on their phones. People are viewing your website on their phone. And we need to make sure that it's it's touch-friendly, that people can slide through a slider if they need to, that they can see all the images if they scroll through. And don't go overboard with images. You don't need 50 or 100 images on your portfolio page because that can really start to slow things down. It can make your website crawl when somebody is on their phone and on data, for example, as opposed to being on Wi-Fi. So go to your own website. I challenge you to go to your own website 
website, scroll through it on your phone and make sure that it's as user-friendly as you thought it was, right? There might be some things that you're finding that you're like, wow, how long has it been like this? I can't believe I didn't notice this sooner. So take the time to step into the shoes of your ideal client and go through your website and make sure that you can find everything that you need, that it's easy to navigate, that you can scroll through all the pages and all the photos. That's, that's my biggest recommendation there. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I think one of the things is like, this sounds really silly, but every time I walk by a Best Buy, I go in and put my website in on every single different device. Because I want to see how it looks on PC, how it looks on Apple. I Um, love that. Because, you know, like, as you know, like, just back in the day, (laughs) sometimes the fonts don't show up correctly. Now, like with things like Squarespace, it's very easy. But you used to be with WordPress, sometimes a bit tricky. Like your website might not show up how you want it to be look in different devices. So it's kind of like an old habit, but I still do it. Every time I walk by an Apple store or Best Buy, I just go in and see what my website looks like on their device. Even just on my computer in Chrome, the Chrome browser versus the Safari browser, my text looks a little bit different. And so it's important too, to try to test out different browsers and just make sure that things look good. And obviously I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. Squarespace takes care of a lot of this for you because every site has a built-in mobile experience. So you can, you can adjust it if you need to, you can work with a designer to make it more your own, but in general, out of the box, you get a pretty good responsive which basically means that the website adjusts as your screen size adjusts, but you get a mobile responsive website out of the box. And it's very easy to use when you're adding galleries, when you're adding slideshows, all of that is designed and pre-built for, you know, for use by somebody who's not so web design savvy. So I absolutely love Squarespace. All my websites are built on them. I am a WordPress. I've done a lot of work with WordPress. I used to be a WordPress developer, but I moved over to Squarespace because I am a creative at heart. I love the visual side of websites as well as the technical behind the scenes. And Squarespace sort of marries the two for me. I know it's so much easier. I used to be on WordPress as well. And we spent so much money on developing. It's not even funny. Like I want to cry thinking about how much money we spent on the website. Oh my God. It's, it's crazy how much it can cost. And then the updates too. Like I have so many clients who wanted more of a set it and forget it website a long time ago now. And they, when they did spend time on their website, they wanted that time to be spent creating content, writing blog posts, adding images, and not updating plugins, accidentally breaking their site, and then having to figure out how to fix it. So thankfully, that is something when I when I set up a Squarespace site for a client, I know that even if they don't hire me for ongoing work, that they will be okay with that site, that it will not crash on them, that it will not, like random things won't be deleted or plugins will stop working, things like that. So Squarespace is just a really nice option. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought mobile because I think most people now are looking at like sites on either like an iPad, like a like a tablet, or like a smartphone, like iPhone or Android. Because I've noticed too, because I look at my Google Analytics, I think 70% of our traffic is from mobile devices. So it's really important, yeah. to, like people be able to see your website on a phone or on an iPad. And it's growing too. The more and more people are using phones, all different sized phones. So you can't just have a quote unquote mobile website anymore. You need to have a responsive website that adjusts based off the different size screens. Because even from one iPhone to another, I just looked at my old iPhone from like five years ago today and I put it next to my current one. And I was like, how is this so much? Like you don't notice the sizes changing, but the size, like it's crazy. And I have like still have a regular iPhone. So I don't know. 
anyway, the screens got way larger and it just, you don't know what everyone's devices. You just want to make sure that, you know, whatever potential client or whoever that client is, when they're visiting your site, they can get the information they need and they can fill out your contact form and reach out to work with you. Isn't it funny when cell phone first came out is like, they wanted to go as small as possible. And I remember like, there was like this, I think Zoolander skit on SNL when the cell phone was so tiny, like (laughs) holding up to his ear. And then now it's like the phone is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. It doesn't even fit in your pocket anymore. (laughs) I know. You have to have a separate purse just for your phone. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. Things have changed. I think I read that Google actually penalized if if your website is not responsive because... Yes mobile devices. Yeah. So in 2020, especially they're doing what's called mobile first, um, indexing, which means that the mobile version of your site or the, the version of your site that basically shows up on your phone or tablet, that is the version that Google is paying attention to first. That is the version that they are considering the real version of your website. So you want to make sure that everything is showing up there. I don't know if you remember this, but I think they've mostly disappeared, but mobile sites, like having a separate version of your site for mobile experiences used to be a thing for a while. So people didn't have to do responsive design. They could basically just create a new version of their site site for mobile, but the mobile version didn't necessarily have the same content as the full desktop version of their site. And this caused a lot of problems because you would Google something and in Google, it would say, you know, you can find this information on this page. You would click over to the page and it would like redirect you to the mobile site. And then it would just take you to the homepage. And you'd be like, no, I really wanted to read that blog post. And then you couldn't find it. Thankfully, that's a thing of the past for the most part, especially with new platforms or not so much new. Squarespace isn't new, but especially with platforms designed for the less tech savvy user, or it just has more things out of the box that has sort of gone with the wayside. But yeah, that was, that was a struggle for a while. So responsive sites, sites that adjust regardless of the size of the browser or the device, those are the way of the future and have been for a while now. One of the things I love about Squarespace is it automatically resize my photos for me. I remember you used to be, because you don't want to put up super high resolution files because they will take a long time to load. And then, so then you will have to take the photos from your photographer and then resize it yourself and then re-upload it onto your website. And then Squarespace just process that for you now. Like you don't even have to worry about it. They do resize them. I still recommend that people shrink the images down at least to some extent before uploading because Squarespace is still storing the original size of that file, even if they are processing it and showing a smaller version on that page. So I still recommend people resize those images. And even in some cases, you can like clean up the images too. There's a bunch of like smushing software or apps out there that basically take your images and remove the metadata and shrink them down to a a size that makes sense for web. So I still recommend that people go through some process, whether that's just resizing in Lightroom or resizing in Photoshop or even just on the desktop of your computer and try to resize those in bulk before you import them if you can. Yeah, do everything in bulk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, automate the process as much as you can. And then what would your recommendation be if someone wants to do their own website but they don't know where to start? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I recommend, I, again, I'm a big fan of Squarespace. Squarespace has a bunch of templates out of the box. There's also a lot of resources out there for like paid for. There's free Squarespace templates on Squarespace's website. There's a lot of great custom templates out there that actually walk you through step-by-step how to implement the template that they provide. And what's cool about that is you sort of get like a Squarespace tutorial as well as this pre-built template. So that's really cool. There's also a ton of other resources out there. We have an online event coming up all about Squarespace, which I'm super excited about. So that's a great resource for people who are just getting started and sort of want to know either how to make their website better if they've already started it, how to make it feel more on brand, be able to customize it in a way that doesn't look like every other Squarespace site out there. Because that's one of the biggest things I hear. The biggest complaints about Squarespace is that even though their templates are beautiful and very simple. So many people are using Squarespace now that you start to feel like my website just sort of looks like all the other Squarespace websites out there. And so I love sharing different ways people can customize their site because I am a a custom website designer with Squarespace. But I love sharing people, even if they just want to do it themselves, some simple tricks you can do to make your site feel unique, feel like your brand, feel special to you and feel like it actually reflects the initial design vision or the vision that you have for your website and for your brand. I love that. Do you want to talk about your event really quickly? Yeah. So in uh, just a couple weeks here at the end of October, we are hosting our very first online virtual summit called Square Summit. And it is helping creative business owners learn how to build a profitable and beautiful website with Squarespace. We have some amazing speakers. We have some giveaways. There's going to be a lot of great information and the summit is completely free to attend. So if you are a Squarespace user and you just want to learn how to make your your website, your Squarespace website more beautiful and more functional and just have it really work for you. This is a great option. Or if you're like, I don't know if I want to use Squarespace, maybe you're a WordPress user and you're thinking about switching. This event could be a really great option for you as well. So it's called Square Summit and it's going to be at the very end of October, right before Halloween. We'll actually probably have some fun little like Halloween themed events during the summit as well. So it's at squaresummit.co.co. So you can check that out. And I'm sure Cindy will add a link in the show notes or something like that as well. I'll send it to you afterwards. But yeah, we're super excited about it. And if you missed it and you're listening to this podcast in the future, you can still go over there and hop on the wait list and check out some of our other great SEO resources. We have a really cool SEO checklist that's free over on our website, localcreative.co and some neat video trainings and an awesome Facebook community as well. I'll get the links from you and I'll link it all that in our show notes. Perfect. Yeah, I think it'd be a great fit for your audience. And what if someone feels very overwhelmed, let's say they start working on their website themselves or just like, ah, I can't deal. How should someone go about hiring someone? Because I think that is the thing too. It's like, it's another expertise. It's outside your industry. So sometimes you're like, I don't really know how to hire a website designer, especially if I don't know any of these technical jargon. Yeah. So there's two kinds of people who are looking for website design to be outsourced. There's the type who are like, I never want to touch my website. I have a team and I am never going to publish blog posts. I never want to update images. I am going to hire all of that out. That is the one type. And the other type is somebody who wants to pay somebody upfront to design and build a really beautiful template for them to use on their website. But then after that, they kind of want to take over and then continue making regular updates to their site. So they want to be 
be the ones blogging or they want to be the ones who are just making small changes and you want to have the ability to do that and not have to call someone up or send an email every time you have a simple change. So the first camp of people, the platform doesn't really matter as much. And you can look for a web designer who works with WordPress or who works with any of these other like more complex website or like CMS or content management systems, right? But I highly recommend looking for a Squarespace designer if you're in that second camp and you do want to manage some aspects of your website yourself because you're going to end up with a beautiful website if you find the right designer who you've seen their work, you mesh with their brand, they really understand your vision, they're able to create that. But you want then after that point, you're going to be able to see everything that they've done and get in there and not have to worry about breaking things. You're going to be able to make those changes yourself. So I highly recommend looking for a Squarespace website designer who, again, has done work that you like, that matches your brand, that feels like you guys connect and you you know might connect on like a personal level and you just feel like you have that good vibe coming from them. If that's the case, I think you'll be fine. You'll be fine to outsource and then you'll be able to take things over from there. That's great. And what would you say in general, what makes a really strong local business website? Ooh, I love this. So I would say the first thing is that it's really easy to find all the information that they need. The website, your website is your home on the internet. It is a resource for your ideal clients. It is not for you. It is for them. So just make sure that you have all the information on your website accessible at people's fingertips when they end up on your site. That's the most important is having the information there. Secondarily, I would say making sure your website is a reflection of you and your brand. So many people spend time making sure that their Instagram grid has like the perfect color scheme and everything sort of matches up. But it's there's a huge disconnect when somebody's website brand experience doesn't match what they're putting out on Instagram. And sometimes that makes you wonder like, is this business really set up to be able to handle the work I have for them if they've been slacking on their website? where it doesn't have that same vibe information that I'm looking for. You want your online brand and the the vibe that you're putting out online, you want it to be consistent across all different platforms, whether that's Instagram, whether that's Facebook, LinkedIn, your website. So just making sure that there's that cohesive brand feel across all of those. Uh, that's really cool. And then what if you, some, you, like say you hire someone to do your brand and then they pick a font that's not like a wet font? Would you recommend them just to buy the font to upload it? Does that mean every machine will be able to display it? I know this is more technical, but it's something that people do run yeah. into. Yeah. So in Mises, you can download a font off of, I like Creative Market as an example. It's a great marketplace to be able to find find fonts and they're usually pretty inexpensive. So if you have a font that you want to use for your brand, but it's not on Squarespace, for example, you can actually add that if you have the custom CSS or the plan with Squarespace that allows you to add custom CSS. I think it's just like the business. You're able to actually upload those font files and use them on your website and and by uploading them to your site, you're actually more regardless of the other computer that the file is there and it's going to reference that file. Now you still want to have backup fonts. You still want to know, okay, if for some reason my font didn't show up, what is the alternative font that would appear in its place? But in most cases, you're going to be okay. If you upload that custom font, if you have it set up correctly, it's just a little bit of code snippet or a little bit of CSS that you're adding to your site, but it's very simple. And it's a great way to make your Squarespace website or make your website on any platform feel a little bit more 
custom feel a little bit more on brand and kind of fit in with the general look and feel that you're going for. That's very cool. Yeah, I love it. And then what would you say it's one of the most like overlooked things um, when it comes to like, I don't know, but I think with Squarespace, there's so many things you can do to make it look a little more custom. Like what are some of the things that people like are easy for people to do, but that won't like break the site, for example? Yeah. So something that's really simple and easy to do is just to look at the text on your, in this again, very, very basic, but something that I actually see people do, don't do well a lot of the times is to look at the text on your website and just make sure that in general, you don't have too many words on the same line. You want your site to be easy to read. And when somebody has to kind of like move their eyes all the way across your page on this never ending line of text, that can be a real turnoff, even just subconsciously to people, because they're going to end up kind of struggling to to read the content, to consume the content. So just making sure that you don't have like giant blocks of text or huge chunks of text that take up the majority of your page. You want to have content on your site. You want to have words on your site, but make sure they sort of are intertwined with the visuals. So maybe you've got an image on the left, some text on the right, and then you've got text on the left and an image on the right. And you're sort of guiding people's eyes down the page, really kind of simple basics of how you want to lay out your site, how you want to outline things, having that symmetry, having that balance, and just making sure your text Text is easy to read as people scroll down. A bit like staging a room, really. It's uh, yes. all the styling principle comes into work, like harmony, colors, lines, negative space. Website feng shui. Yeah, balance and all that, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So one of our last question really is what would be your number one tip for business owners to really boost their search engine optimization? That's a great question. So I would say to, obviously we've talked about a lot today, so I'm not going to repeat anything we've said earlier because I think those are all really great tips and all of those things are going to help you improve your SEO. But I would say as a local business, one of the best things that you can do is make sure that you have set up and verified your Google My Business profile within Google. And this is actually where your business lives on Google Maps. Even if you don't have a public studio space or you don't have a public storefront or anything like that, and you don't necessarily want your personal home address online, you can still fill out your Google My Business profile. You can still show up on Google Maps. You can just hide your address. But this is a really great way to bump yourself to this top section of Google because Google Maps shows up before anything else. So making sure that you've got that filled out correctly, that you verify, they're going to send you a postcard to verify that. And once you have that filled out, that's going to help you show up locally specifically. And outside of that, just go through all the free Google products, Google My Business, Google Analytics is totally free. Set that up. Even if you don't understand how to use it yet, as soon as you set it up, it just starts collecting data for your website. So you can look at it later. And then Google Search Console, which is in Google Webmaster Tools, another free tool. And this specifically shows how your website and Google interact, how your website shows up in Google, if there's any issues with your website and how it ranks in Google. So those three Google tools, Google My Business, Google Analytics, and the Google Search Console, all totally free, just something you want to set up at the very beginning stages of trying to work on your search engine optimization and help your website rank better in Google. That's fabulous. And along that same line, people should probably list themselves on free listing directory, right? Yeah, um, there's a lot of different free directories. Yeah, Yelp, yep. House, and all these other ones. That it's also really good because they're linking them back to the website as well. 
Yeah. So just, and just having your name out there too, and having reviews is a big one as well. Having that social proof. So getting Google reviews is a big one as well. I recommend that you send out your Google profile to, once you get everything verified, you send out that profile and you let your past clients review you. That's going to really help Google bump up your ranking in search. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yes. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. I had so much fun and I look forward to, yeah, if you guys are are watching this episode, sorry, watching, listening to this episode now or whenever it is in the future, say hi on Instagram, screenshot your podcast app. Let us know that you're watching. Tag us both. I'm at localcreative.co on Instagram. Yeah. We'd love, we'd love to know that you're watching and love to connect and say hi. I know that's a good point. I there, I should just tell audience do that all the time. I never do. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's just so fun to be like, even if it's like six months from now, it's always fun to be like, hey, somebody listened to this episode <laughs> today, and to get to connect with them and check them out on Instagram and say hi, and of course reshare. Yeah, exactly. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.